0: This is the Average Guy Network and you have found Cyber Frontiers show number 44 recorded on June 11th 2018. Here in Cyber Frontiers we explore cybersecurity, big data and the technologies that are shaping the future. You have questions, comments, contributions. We'd love to have an email. Send us an email, Jim at the average You can track Christian down, Christian at the average Pretty easy to remember there. Uh, find me on Twitter at Jay Collison, and Christian is Borg Whisperer out there. You can reach him. Is that still true? Still true. Still, true? still whispering. Okay. Don't, uh, don't forget the average guy.tv is powered by Maple Grove Partners. Web hosting is secure, reliable, high speed hosting from people that you know and you trust. And uh, it's a pretty fast hosting. I'm not going to lie. My WordPress instance is a lightning fast plan. Start at just $10 a month. MapleGrovePartners.com. All right, Christian's back. It's been a
1: while, Christian, since we've been on. Welcome back. Thanks, good to be back. We've been uh, drudging through the trenches of uh, the working world, but uh, it's good to be back. Lots of lots has happened since we. Lots has happened. There's a phrase, a lot has transpired since we uh, last recorded. Uh, I think the last time we sat down, we were really uh, going pretty deeply into meltdown inspector. Mm-hmm. Um, that I call it a fad. It wasn't really a fad. It's continuing to be a problem, but that that fad has boiled over. And we're on to new hot topics in uh, security and data science. So hey,
0: b- before we before we leave that though, I had a question on Home Gadget Geeks on Thursday to yeah. Mike. He didn't have a clue, but it's a good idea to ask you. Like <laughs> I've been, I don't want to say I've been holding off, but I've been delaying on the BIOS upgrades because it seemed like for a while I'd be like, "No, this is it," and then. Two weeks later, they'd be like, no, this,
1: yeah. is it,
0: right. So yeah. are we good at this point? I mean, can I go out there and, and be rest, you know, be pretty assured that if I do all that work to upgrade my BIOS, it's going to stick.
1: Yeah, it was really pretty bad. Um, I was that kind of sucker for a good handful of Lenovo systems that I have that, yeah, it was like two or three different takes on the BIOS before they finally uh, simmered down and, um, At this point, the BIOSes should be pretty stable in that. Intel finished their last patching cycle for like, hey, here's all the CPUs we decided to support with microcode and not to support. As far as I understand, most of the... If you're nervous about uh, upgrading your BIOS, the operating system itself is going to still patch the latest microcode. So um, it is best practice to have the latest BIOS for sure. Um, I don't think it'll be the end of the world in terms of mitigating your machine if you don't do it. Um, a combination of firmware and and software can cover you. Um, That being said, if you know what you're doing, go and do it. Um, Like I said, I had a whole host of machines I had to upgrade. Uh, All of them were successful except one refurbished machine that I used for testing that just totally hated the fact that I flashed the BIOS. And it was really interesting. Um, It actually resulted in bricking the video, the onboard video on the motherboard, but everything else still works. But and of course I didn't know that at the time I bricked it. So um, all I was getting was diagnostic beep codes, tried to do the recovery, no difference, blah, blah, blah. Uh, put in a external VGA card and did the uh, boot block recovery and it, and it came roaring back to life. Then took the video card out and tried to go back to the onboard and no, like it completely fried the onboard video. So what is it about a BIOS flash on that particular system that caused an issue? No idea. Uh, but by and large, though, it's not going to be a um, big concern for you to go out and get the latest BIOS update. So it'd be okay it, it, to do
0: it now, you think? Is yeah, at this or, point, they're
1: not they're not pushing any new microcodes related to the meltdown specter, um, right? Okay. And the reality is, if you're a PC enthusiast or builder, you probably want to wait until the Series Nine stuff comes out, so that you know it's natively not a flaw in the hardware. Um, but for most home users, right? I mean, if we're not yeah. exposed to the web, that's if right. we're we're practicing
0: good, we don't have a PC directly connected to the web, right? Uh-huh. I mean, it, yeah, it would reduce your footprint, but yeah, pretty minimal.
1: Yeah, minimal mm, impact for the home user. For most um, people,
0: I think if it works, that that's the big what the 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 big fear though is what you just said. Like you just go do a BIOS upgrade and it just <laughs> borks, yep. you
1: know, one of your systems,
0: and yep. yeah, there's nothing more frustrating than like trying to do the right thing. Exactly. And it hoses you, right?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you can weigh that at your own risk. Like I said, you're not leaving yourself a gaping hole. If your operating system is otherwise fully patched. Um, The one incentive to consider waiting in terms of CPU purchasing is that they might actually have faster performance CPUs that don't have the flaw as opposed to being secure, but still being a bit slower. Um, But again, home user probably not going to notice it that much either way. Um, yeah. But, yeah.
0: but now anytime now into the year, just probably as you're upgrading things or Azure, I, I just, man, I would be real hesitant. Like if it's a main computer you use all the time, make sure it's backed up, right? Make sure right. you've got, you just don't want to go into that. They threw a whole bunch of these upgrades out. And I know for some systems, they got multiple upgrades, Yep, multiple BIOS updates. And I just, uh, holy cow. So, um, I think go at your own risk. John's out in the chat room and he he's like, well, I don't know, you know, and I think I'm feeling kind of the same way. Like, well, I kind of get to it when I get to it. And uh, certainly Meltdown's been fixed on the software side, right? All those that's Sorry. been mitigated, right? That's taken care of. And then. Spectre is in various forms. Of,
1: <laughs> various forms of lingering <laughs> indefinitely, yeah. Uh, All
0: right. Well, it's good. good update to have Anyways, So um, good that we talked about that last week on Home Gadget Geeks and just kind of started thinking about, okay, do we got to do it? Is it something that's got to be done right now? And uh, good to get the definitive answer um, from you. Christian, on May 25th. We celebrated G- GDPR Day, which is going to be a, just a fantastic day remembered in history oh my for a lot of insane. It's just nuts what's going on with this thing. It's just crazy. But I want to get your take on it. We're pa- we're past that date. When we think about what the average guy needs to do and thinking about GDPR, we, we address this Saturday morning on Ask the Podcast Coach because a lot of podcasters have mailing lists and either AWeber or MailChimp. And those guys sent out tons of updates like, hey, guys, we're compliant, but you're going to need to do a few things. And I have a feeling that not
1: everybody did those things.
0: Kind of give us a rundown on you know, post-GDPR, thinking post-May 25th, where are we at with this thing?
1: Yeah, it's uh, pretty funny, actually. So, you know, number one, we know that GDPR was a smashing success as measured by the um, overwhelming amount of email that hit people's inboxes. I think it broke. It broke an internet record for the most volume of email in any one day um, purely because, you know, all these major companies are sending out multiple notices about, hey, GDPR, hey, privacy policy, hey, terms of service. And it's like, you know, you're getting the like daily flood. Average user is probably like, huh, since when did they start caring about me so much all of a sudden? Um, Humorous, right? Part of the whole intent. Uh, GDPR is pretty mind blowing when you think about it. It's almost in a, from a, from an American perspective, it's almost like we've just been, um, we are living under a law that is not part of our country. It's super interesting. Like you can choose to accept the reality of an international law or reject it. Um, if you accept the reality, then you accept that your product or service or whatever is a international platform and you want as many possible users globally as possible. Uh, if you're in the United States and you're a small business and you're just running your website and doing your thing, um, and you could give a rat's ass about GDPR. Um, yeah, you can kind of wave and say, this was a lot of fun guys and move on with your life. Um, I think the reality though, is that that is the minority case. Uh, in most situations, your major fortune 500, et cetera, is, has to move in the direction of GDPR compliance, and we've already seen uh, companies that have been threatened with the the nasty fine of four percent or twenty million, whichever is greater. Um, you know, there's already companies on the hit list very early on. Uh, the thing most people probably don't realize is that GDPR was actually passed in 2016, over two years ago. So, like, this was the implementation date, and very few companies were ready on the date of implementation. Um, Humorously, one of the companies with the worst reputation for privacy and its users in the last six months, Facebook is one of the first companies that got fully hundred percent ready on day one. Um, So there's a wide variance in who kind of, which, which horse met the finishing line when it's also not clear that companies even fully know when they've hit, 100% 100% validation, right? You never truly know until someone files a protest or a complaint against you in many cases. Um, so I think a lot of these companies moved into what I call the best spirit. You know, They got a bunch of their lawyers into a room. They figured out what that meant for their company, and they took a best effort stab at it in the hopes that the European Parliament wouldn't come after them. Um, it is really weird being regulated by a third-party body, right? Like... Um, Many legal technical resources got burned and churned by that. And what we saw was that either two years was not enough time, or more likely, companies said, Hmm, do we really, are we going to take the gamble that this thing is really going to stay in its present form by 2018? Chances were a lot of people took the gamble and said, We're not going to spin up a bunch of like productivity on things that don't necessarily add immediate value for our customers by having a bunch of our engineers and and related staff focus on complying with a law in in the European Union. Um, Interestingly, I don't think that gamble worked out in this case, right? Uh, Because a lot of companies, again, scrambling up to the last minute and going through. Um, I know companies are both burning to make an opportunity off of this and are burning to just get it done. Because it was the number one topic at RSA. I mean, it was actually kind of annoying to the point where, like, I, I went to RSA. I go to security conferences for, uh, you know, pretty technical, hacky stuff. Um, wasn't expecting to get inundated and flooded with GDPR, but there were a bunch of like GDPR monkeys walking around saying, "How can I help you become GDPR compliant?" Um, that's a little scary. Um, only it's 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 strange, but. So, so people were definitely like, 2020 focus on it. There was no doubt that um, it was going to be a big deal. I think the interesting thing now, though, is that it it will remain a big deal, right? I think some companies are still really grappling with this. You know, some of the more um, contentious points of GDPR include things like, you know, the right to have your data exported and available in any kind of form or format and the ability for you to go in and request from the company at any time, I want all of my data and I want to be able to edit this because this is incorrect and this is incorrect. And then you quickly get down this rabbit hole where you know, GDPR states that this is for personal information. Well, okay, what are some obvious things that are personal information, your name, birth date, where you're currently living, et cetera, fine. Then you get into these more ambiguous things like, um, is your relationship to your third cousin, Uncle Rob, who posted a picture of a dog on his Facebook wall, is that part of your export? Is that a personal relationship that you're subject to own that data? Um, So GDPR has these concepts that like you are the owner of the data and the company is a user of you in essence. And as a result, you get all these protections and these abilities to control and edit um, what is quote unquote rightfully yours, what you provide to uh, the company. And they specifically frame it within the context where you're signing a contract or some type of terms of service in which you then enter into with the company. That's kind of what starts to invoke all the GDPR work. Uh, if you look at like your Google, your Facebook, big platforms, right, you'll notice you can go into your account settings now and get very detailed exports of your data, right? Like Google, which is consistently criticized by tinfoil hats as being like the data machine, Um has a service called Google Takeout. And you can literally export in JSON or CSV or HTML, literally every single of the 200 some products that make up the Google platform. You can get your data for it. You can delete your data for it. It's like a a full dashboard. You can go through each product, set up what type of data can collect about you, export your data, et cetera. Um, Facebook kind of doing the same thing. Um, humorously, this didn't help them out very much on Capitol Hill uh, this year, but um, you know, they were also kind of up on the front side of GPR um, even to the point where we're talking about giving the consumer information about whether uh, what ad companies have their information, right. Very specifically, So um, to make a long ramble short, we're really at a point where it definitely does matter. I think a lot of Americans are intrinsically benefiting that all the major players are playing by this rule book because they don't want to lose the huge European market that they're in. It's unclear, um, you know, Americans really aren't protected at a point where it's where the Businesses only operating in the United States. Uh, However, you know, a lot of the major services that make up, quote unquote, the threat of the Internet, social media, um, search and discovery services, et cetera, like those are international platforms. Right. And so we're benefiting from these very. Um, from an American uh, legal perspective, very stringent set of regulations, right? There's no comparable or comparable level of detail in United States legislation that compares to the level of uh, detail and exacting requirements out of GDPR. Um, It'll be really interesting to see how Um, European regulators levy fines and or claims against GDPR and and how those get arbitrated when the company is headquartered in one country, but operates under another subsidiary in another country. It's just, there's a lot of links and threads there, but you know, if I'm Cisco and I want to sell you a router, I want to be able to sell you a router regardless of where you live or what country you're in. Right. So I'm just natively going to figure out, okay, How do I design all my products going forward to have this capability? I think the real question becomes, do companies like Facebook and Google, et cetera, see a monetization issue coming out of having to be GDPR compliant? Do they feel like they are going to lose a financial or some competitive edge by allowing their data to be exported out and imported into any other service or to not have it maybe be monetized to the extent that it used to be. Um, But it's not to say that GDPR is ill-intended. In fact, it really reins in some of the massive problems we have with these companies. Facebook being a primary example, where you know Facebook is going up on Capitol Hill and begging congressional legislators to, uh, you know, hey, you guys should figure out how to regulate us because we don't know how to be regulated, and we're not going to tell ourselves to be regulated if you don't do it. So do your job. Um, only problem is, uh, most of our Congress actually has no technical grasp or concept of what some of these technical concepts are. Like, it's really kind of scary. I mean, you can watch the testimonies that happened uh, when uh, Mark came to testify, and, you know, very plain as day, very few senators understood the big picture or really understood how the technology is used, consumed, managed, et cetera. Uh, and so as a result, Europe must be tech savvy, at least from a legislative perspective, right? Like their legislators actually understand what's going on. Um, their citizenry, which we've talked about before on this show, are much more privacy conscientious than um, Americans uh, seem to be. So it's really interesting. This is definitely a tide very strongly in the opposite direction of where American technology has been going for the last you know, 10 plus years. Um, and humorously, I think a lot of these companies are going to play ball and toe the line because whatever the short-term revenue or intellectual uh, property capability, et cetera, is lost by, um, being compliant, it's much smaller than what the loss is if they don't comply. Um, and of course, you know, we're looking at. Uh, additional fines coming to Google from Europe for another multiple of billions of dollars for other infringements that have nothing to do with GDPR, right? So a lot of these companies are constantly getting held up by arbitration in the European Union. And that in and of itself is kind of becoming a full-time job. So how these companies are going to reinvent or kind of re-architect the way they design products to make this less eventful and more rapid for development in the future, it's going to be really interesting because I think they had to do a lot of work to go back to what they did for the last, you know, existence of their company and figure out how to re-engineer privacy that they never cared about before. Um, And then it's like going forward, how do we engineer that in consistently so that we're not constantly playing catch up? Part of the
0: privacy bit was being more clear in your terms about how the data is being used. in in being very, very specific. Now, that is not, there's still not, I mean, being specific is still relative. Mm -hmm. And so, Christian, is that why we saw, you know, there was this flood of updates and privacy statements? I'm assuming everyone's jamming these, oh, by the way, here's how we use it. I would think in the United States, that's not going to change anything. We don't read the EULAs. (laughs) What makes us think, what what makes people think they're going to read the privacy statements? So, I'm not sure much will change there. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure much will change in the U because I don't think, I don't think Europeans are any better at reading laws no. or reading privacy no, statements not. than Americans. Yeah.
1: Some Somehow they're more conscious about it as a culture, even though they, they blast through the next button just as much as we yeah. do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Every legal team for every major corporation is sitting here, you know, pushing out new versions of, of documents as fast as possible, privacy policy being one of them, because the terms of service, like you're governed under and protected under in theory by their privacy policy, which they disclose, in th- again, in theory, how exactly they use your data. But this is part of why it's going to be really interesting to see court challenges to GDPR as infractions are are filed, because like you say, what is the bar for showing that something is or isn't specifically defined, right? If I want to open a grievance against Google, because I feel they didn't specifically tell me um, how my GPS location is being used when an advertisement is being served to me, you know, a judge has to figure that out. And it's like, uh, wait a second. Well, I'm pretty sure it's the equivalent of a judge in Europe. I'm not sure if they have a a technically a different title or not. But, um, you know, the equivalent legal system there has to arbitrate that and Maybe they are more tech savvy at that point than where our judicial system is. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, It's clear that their parliament thinks about it a lot more than our Congress does. Um, But, you know, how many times something like that can be appealed and when it's final, is the cost going to be that much of a detriment to a major player over a long period of time? Uh, it's, It's very unclear to me, but I think... It scared enough people that they're desperately, I think the EU achieved exactly what they wanted, which was scare a bunch of companies that are, you know, raking us over the coals with our data and see if we can get them to toe the line. And so far, I think they've all felt, you know, all the ducks have fallen in a row for them. Um, Did most of that come in the form of cookie tracking and,
0: I mean... In, in how information is being tracked and then stored and then used, is that really where most of this comes in for most companies? In other words, full disclosure, anytime we're collecting this information on our site or your site, um, it we're, we're, this is the kind of information we're collecting and here's how we're using it. Is it that simple? I know it's really complicated, but is that the basis of it?
1: At least for the specific part of the GDPR that reflects, you know, thou must provide specific definitions and cases for how we use your data. But keep in mind that um, you know the platform is really important here. So when you look at part of what's getting Facebook so much in trouble, not only did they say one thing and do another, which is we say this is how we use your data in a specific way, but then, oh, yeah, there's this thing called Cambridge Analytica that violated our policies and did something with 50 million of our users. Um, for a purpose that never was spelled out in the terms of service, right? So that's why you're seeing things like Google, Facebook, et cetera. They refuse to launch political ads. Now it's actually very interesting. That is a ad category that never used to be regulated. Now companies are terrified if someone buys a political ad from you know outside of the country or if it influences you know, very like, hey, we just don't want to be in that business. That's mm-hmm. a huge pivot that is just in general, right? Um, But with Facebook in particular, you have Cambridge Analytica and then you have their admission about how all their mobile devices may have been sending a lot of data that people just had no idea that's what they opted into. Um, Whether Facebook can actually um, credibly accuse the user of just negligence versus their negligence in providing for the platform is somewhat irrelevant. Um, The result is that their continuing PR crisis is perpetuated, even despite that they're towing this line with GDPR. It's, it's really kind of interesting to me. Like the company that is maybe the furthest out on GDPR is still suffering the most in terms of how people view their credibility when it comes to these the very issues that GDPR gets at, which is like, tell me what you're doing with the data, allow me to be a custodian of my own data, give me the right to be forgotten, which predates GDPR. Um, but it's re- basically reinforced in GDPR, um, and, and you know these types of guarantees are great on paper, great when you say they do them. But I'm super curious what is the audit mechanism, right? Like, what is what is going to be the audit mechanism for a company to come in and say, "Oh, yeah, you're you're definitely remaining GDPR compliant." And this is part of the reason why I think RSA was flooded with GDPR uh, hoopla because. What company doesn't want to be able to just, you know, hand a million dollars to some third party assessor to walk into their company, do a review and write a rubber stamp report that says, yes, you are still GDPR compliant, right? What is going to be the the new hot rubber candy that someone gobbles up over in the European Union to say, oh, this company is doing the right thing, right? It's going to become a huge industry. It's a huge regulatory industry that has been opened up by doing this. Um, but I'm not convinced based on the data points we have right now that GDPR compliance equates to a company taking the moral high ground. Um, I think they can kind of talk a good line, um, but the history, there's a lot of history to be undone if they really want to just you know, magically say, woohoo, we're GDPR compliant. It's like, okay, but you know, the last 20 years, you've been nothing but. Um, And even now that you are GDPR compliant, you're still suffering from the way you used to do business. So I think that's going to remain a sticking point. It's going to remain a huge regulatory um, Pandora's box has been opened with doing this. And it's not that uncommon from um, Facebook and related companies now are moving to a model where they are almost doing anything they can do to appease the user base to, to stop the bleeding, right? Like the first step was let's stop the bleeding. And I keep calling on Facebook mostly because I think they are one of the most interesting case studies and how a lot of regulatory stuff might not be enough to systemically address the problem. Um, and so I, you know, I'm just, I'm not there yet. Like I, I, I just, I see a lot of, good intentions, but not necessarily good results. And, and at the RSA conference, this was very well reflected in when Microsoft, I, there were like three or four big names that announced it, but it was like a pact. It was a cybersecurity alliance agreement. I don't remember the exact naming of it now. It was like between 34 companies. And they basically made this very interesting memorandum of values more or less that said we, as these companies promise to uphold these values and, you know, sharing responsible cybersecurity data and disclosure and protecting internet and great, great, great. it was like this huge policy and regulatory framework that they imposed on themselves to try and convince their users that they were these noble gallant knights doing good things with corporate responsibility. And it was like, awesome. So I got this huge body of text and good intentions I have no idea as a regular consumer to know that you're doing what you're saying you're going to do, how I can benefit from it, how my organization can join and benefit. And it was very interesting. There were very specific companies that chose to enter that agreement and not enter that agreement. And I would suspect that some of the companies that would probably otherwise benefit from some positive branding like that chose not to do it for that very reason of like, okay, really, how are we going to convince our users that we're entering into something that is, not just more than good intentions. And so GDPR obviously has a hammer. It's not just a, a carrot. It's a lot of, you know, mostly stick here, not carrot, but same kind of thing, right? Like does beating a company over the head with a stick a couple times solve the credibility problem? Uh, and, I, and I don't think right now they're there.
0: It's interesting. I hear two complaints, you know, when we've, you know, a lot of these regulations especially when you're, you're you're being tracked online. You know, there's a reason a lot of companies want to track you. They want to make things easier for you. Now, don't get me wrong. Lots of companies want to, they want to mine every single click that you have out there. But there is some ability to make things easier for you, um, including keeping you logged in 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 cases so you don't have to kind of always be re-logging back into a site, keeping you logged in for some length of time. E, sometimes the eu has come across as let's it's all that is evil we you shouldn't have any of it and and sometimes um i've known an organization that's had an app that logs people out pretty frequently and our European users are the ones that get the angriest about that it's it's like why can't you just keep me logged in and we're like do you understand what you're asking for you know it's just it is it is kind of funny and so there's I often think, uh, at least in my experience, there's been a perception it's for for a lot in Europe, it's as much perception as it is actual truth. In other Mm -hmm. words, we live in Europe. Therefore, we are way more data conscious than you Americans because you Americans don't know what you're doing. Well, that's it's good talk. It's not always backed up with actual usership that matches that, you know, Mm -hmm. like we mentioned earlier, lots of them blowing through. EULAs and privacy agreements, no different. Um, And we often think, I mean, this is the EU, so there's the whole rest of Europe when we think of Russia and Asia, who's not participating in this. So I think it's super, super interesting. It has certainly made us here in the United States super conscious of what's going on. I have not heard the same impact from our friends in Asia or from our friends in Russia. They're not... I, I don't know. And that doesn't mean it's not happening. I just don't sense that same, that, that kind of same urgency or that yeah, same fear well, that's, that's there.
1: And they have their own equivalent mechanisms for not playing games necessarily, but eh, playing games. I mean, when you look at what it takes for a technology company to launch in China. It's basically like, hand us over your intellectual property, tell us how you did it, let us make the equivalent Chinese knockoff, here's all the set of rules that you have to follow so that you can be squashed within three years and we'll have our own Chinese version anyway. It's like, it's brutal to launch internationally in a place like China and it's like, uh, you know, they may not be feeling the burn, but it might just be because they don't want to play by that rule book, you know, so it's like, it's the market um, segmentation based on these uh, bureaucratic or otherwise um, regulatory requirements really makes it difficult to have a consistent product at international scale, just because the requirements from country to country are changing so frequently and countries are making distinctly unique decisions about the same topics. So it's making it very difficult. I'm hearing that Microsoft
0: just kind of made a decision internally to treat everyone under the same regulations instead of trying to separate out the EU from the United States, from Asia. It kind of said, screw it. We're just going to apply that to everybody. What do you think yeah. of that? Like, all right, fine. Here's your, you know, I'm going to take my ball and go home. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah. Well, it, it works up until a point, right? It's like um, GDPR, uh, co- some companies did that. They're like, okay, well, if we have to respond like this for Europe, then we're just going to make that our global policy. And that's great. But you know, what happens when different countries have superseding policies within conflict? You know, If you're globally compliant with GDPR and you're globally compliant with some future policy that has a very different position than the GDPR, how do you maintain the position that you are globally compliant, you can't. Um, and so they are, in, a, in essence, cherry picking and down selecting on what things they think won't be in conflict with future regulation. But, um, you know, if China came out tomorrow and put up some giant regulatory framework that uh, spoke on the same issues, but said, we can use your data, we will use your data, you have no right to it once you give it to us, we don't really have to tell you what we're doing with it. Then what would Microsoft do? You know, they're not they're no longer going to be able to treat it as one global framework. They're going to make a separate thing for China. Right.
0: Well, and we know Google pulled out just because they didn't. They're hey, you know what? We're done. It's interesting. You know, years ago, they just gave up on China. Screw it. We're out. And yet they're bending over for the EU in a lot of ways in in all the things they've done. I do, you know, as you looked at it, I do like the reporting requirements. Like if there's a breach, there's a 72 hour, you mm-hmm. got to report this stuff. I, you know, I like that. I do like the right to be forgotten. That should be built in or a part of everything I do. Nobody thought, you know, when we invented the internet, nobody ever thought about like deleting it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, oh, gosh, I remember when that first happened and people were like, oh, you mean you should delete that thing? Like, Well. <laughs> Yeah, there should be ways. I mean, the internet—lots uh, of the internet gets deleted every day as, ser- as servers get shut down. But kind of interesting, you know, with along those lines being able to say, "Hey, I'd like to be forgotten,"
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and and that's there's more to it than that. And and that's a that's a huge political. That one piece, the right to be forgotten, is a gigantic political landmine that has to be. I mean, it's just it's crazy. What is what should and shouldn't be. That could yeah. criminal activity, you know, some of those kinds of things, do I, you know, and so that adds in a whole new element. You mentioned RSA a little bit earlier when you were talking about all these things at RSA, you, you got a chance, that was back in April, I think, out That's in right. San Francisco, and you got a chance to head down there. Any, any updates from the RSA conference you want to, you want to cover?
1: Yeah, no, it was a good week. Uh, it The conference itself was pretty interesting. Like I said, some topics drowned out like GDPR, so I mostly just applied my filter um, some of the emerging trends I see is that a lot of enterprises are grappling with DevSecOps. Basically, um, how do you how do you integrate continuous security and evaluation while also developing at scale and with velocity? Um, I saw some emergent topics on that. Um, Good presentations as always from guys like the the CrowdStrike team did some great stuff on some of the APTs and common attack vectors. But you got to keep in mind, like if you compare RSA to something like a DefCon, RSA is much more like um, information assurance and enterprise security. It's looking much more like defensively organization wide. Um, so it's a very different crowd and very different aims than something like a DEF CON, which is like, let me show you how I just pwned every device in the world. Um, very different, um, user community that turns out for that. Um, but all in all, I, I mean, I, there was nothing earth shattering for me this year. Um, there was definitely a lot of stuff that was like, hmm, that's interesting to note. Um, Companies are definitely getting a lot more comfortable with actually giving presentations on how they're using basic machine learning techniques in their security processes. Um, I thought that was pretty revealing. Like, it, machine learning has become much more of a commodity now, um, in general for companies and for basic cybersecurity applications. Um, purely from like an applied user perspective, not really from like an advanced intuitive understanding, but um, companies are really starting to leverage those some things as a service much more often to achieve those aims. Uh, So pretty interesting. But uh, again, nothing really stuck out to me this year as like, wow, that's going to be a game changer for security. Um, I didn't, I didn't get any of those vibes. Um, I definitely got the vibe though, that, you know, the, the regulations and the regulatory world is uh, coming to haunt some companies Um, They're very interested in continuous evaluation, continuous security, um, how to get engineers who are developing quality software code to be more security conscious. Um, Again, a little bit of offensive stuff, not the main focus. A lot of vendors, a lot of sandbox, expo, et cetera. Uh, but I enjoyed it. A good, good week. Um, I think they had another uh, record large turnout. Um, and they had good keynotes this year. Uh, they, they do a particularly good job of keynotes. It helps you kind of get into the mindset and into the heads of where some of these companies are thinking about trending towards um, with respect to their products and security. So um, I get the impression that a lot of people who are, are, are at RSA... Um, feel that we are making huge progress in cybersecurity. I suppose that was the one general takeaway that it's probably worth noting is that like in comparison from like measuring year over year, just like the last two years, 2016 to 2018, the outlooks are like radically different between what was said in 2016 versus what is being, what was said in 2018, right? 2016 was like, you know, stuff's hitting the fan, People still don't know what they're doing. A lot of data breaches. Um, you know, Security is like really low bar. We got to throw a lot of money at the problem. You're the only people that can fix this. Let's go figure it out. 2018 was like, wow, a lot of companies invited their CIO and their CISO to the boardroom. And then magically things started working. And uh, we figured out how to reduce our data breaches and you know patch our systems and do all these things that we said we were going to do for years. Um, but now that we figured out the basics, like we need to really keep going. Um, I'm trying to remember what the – they had a really interesting slogan for RSA this year. I'm trying to remember what the heck it was. Um, I will remember it. It was it was pretty interesting. Um, I,
0: I see Teresa Payton was there. Did you get a chance to catch up with her at all? I, I, I know you met her.
1: Yeah, I did last year. I didn't get a chance to this year. Um th- Folks were moving in and out so different different names for me this year um I don't think she gave was she a keynote she, or a not a keynote looks like just a speaker yeah I was,
0: I was rolling through the speaker names to see who I had recognized we we had um, i had interviewed her back in a in a one of the conferences i did she was the keynote here and right uh, just delightful she's a great person so fun to talk to and kind of bring security to a more she is more of an average guy i mean she's super smart with it but she talks it really really well you would run into her i think last year and then and we were like hey we all know each other it was pretty cool but yeah hey um, certainly you're in a you know the hotbed of technology in the pacific northwest this is the bay area uh, that that you know you're down there in san francisco the moscone does it feel any different to be down in the silicon valley versus being
1: up in seattle uh, yeah it is a little different um, if you think about uh, downtown to see our, uh, I'm sorry. San Francisco is a very like evolving place for me. Like if you are in like downtown San Francisco, you really, it's, I don't know. I don't enjoy like the heart of downtown San Francisco very much in the sense that it's kind of dirty. There's a lot of people on during the conference. Uh, so, you know, very crowded, um, they have a lot of problems managing their streets and taking care of folks out there. It's, it's really weird. Um, housing is obviously super ridiculous. Uh, I'm just complaining about a, a lot of general observations, but then there are these like newer Zenner parts of the city where like you walk like 20 minutes in the direction. And it's like, you can very quickly go from like, wow, this place looks like a bombshell to like, wow, this place is really overcrowded to like, wow, this is like what San Fran should be like. Um, I actually enjoyed the most, honestly, getting out of downtown and going out onto the uh, the bay. Uh, the I can never say it right. Es- Escardito. Um, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm making myself embarrassed at this point, but um, <laughs> that, you know, get out of downtown and go out and enjoy the waterfront. Uh, I mean, I love that. The vibe is a little bit different, um, you know, like the, the biggest... You you see Salesforce and a lot of big um, skyscrapers there, different skyscrapers and like a Seattle where it's like Amazon, 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 and then, you know, maybe another company. Um, So it's definitely a different feel, similar weather, but Seattle rains more. Um, The cities are just designed very differently though. Like I don't feel nearly as crowded in Seattle as I do in San Francisco. San Francisco is louder much more congested Yeah. Um, odor wise they're about comparable now that you know wacky weed is alive and well in Seattle and San Francisco just smells bad it doesn't even necessarily have to be a weed problem it just doesn't smell great so I could never personally like I, I don't always get the silicon warm and fuzzy vibes that I that people other people might out of um, San Francisco but you got to remember there's a lot of big companies out there that are you know, the embodiment of startups like, you know, Pinterest and otherwise. So, um, you know, it's cool, I guess, depending on where you are in the city, I don't think I would enjoy it as like a long-term I'm going to be out in the Bay area. Just, nah, it's not for me. Yeah. You got to get out of the city. Got to get South down yeah. in yeah. the Bay area. Get some, some, some fresh
0: air. <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? Embarcadero down on the, on the wharf? Yes. On the, Thank yeah. You. Okay. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah, right down, right down on the heart, right at the the beach area. Well, it's not really beach, but the water area of the uh, financial district right down there. We have have a building down on the right there in one California. So very, very beautiful. Um, San Francisco, I like, see, I kind of like the eccentric nature of San Francisco. It's super unpredictable and you just never know. And I've never felt unsafe. I've walked the whole city Mm -hmm. and I've never felt unsafe in that city. I've taken... Bart in the middle of the night. I've been on the metro, or what they call the they call the uh, what's, what do they call that thing? They call it the. Now it'll come to me here in just a second, but it's there. Basically, it's kind of their train there in town. It's not it doesn't go very in far in San Fernando Yeah, yeah, they've got they have I think a it local. Is Bart. It's well, it's Muni. No, Bart runs all through the Bay Area. They're Muni. That's what oh, that's what they it. call it there. They have a Muni train that runs along the uh, the financial district. Yeah, um,
1: I really like it. So yeah. um, honestly, the uh, highlight highlight for me was they started in San Francisco the uh, one dollar scooters, where you you mm-hmm. rent a motorized scooter and they're just strewn all throughout the city. <laughs> you use the app to find one closest to you, and then you just go flying on that thing. Yeah, yeah that was kind of fun.
0: No, it is good. It is a uh, it's a fun city to hang in, and uh, and so it's uh, it's good to uh, good to be down there for that. That Moscone area, we've been down there for Oracle and both Microsoft conferences. It's just crazy. Yeah. Just a crazy spot in town, but it's really good. Uh, it's a fun city to hang out in. I'm always glad to get back to Omaha uh, when I, I get done. Hey, uh, we wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a show, it wouldn't be Cyber Frontiers if we didn't talk a little bit about crypto. And, you know, we, Mike and I, have fully embraced it. In fact, as right before we went on here, I'm struggling a little bit with one of my miners, but, um, Uh, You know, you've been, you have been from a lot of people in our listening audience, you have been pleasantly uh, uh, neutral. Let's just put it that way. Neutral to it. You're not mining. You're not talking about it. You're kind of, I think you've kind of felt like in some, in some areas, it's maybe a scam or it's maybe not real I'm putting words in your mouth. Yeah, but. I was
1: gonna say more specifically. This isn't a topic specific. It wouldn't be a cyber frontiers. It wouldn't be a podcast on the average guy network without some mention of, of blockchain or cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. You've you've um I, the last time we
0: left. You know, I, I do remember. It may even have been on forty three. The last time we talked mm-hmm. that. There were people taking over other people's phones for the express interest of crypto mining, which we know today, like even if you got a whole, but you'd have to get a lot of phones to even make it worth it. But they were burning those phones out in a sense, yeah. cause they were running them, running them so hard and so fast. G- give us kind of an update on the wild world of crypto from your perspective.
1: Yeah, it's it is pretty wild. So uh, one of the big news uh, items today, as we're recording live on the eleventh, is that the um, one of the big crypto markets in South Korea, um, Coinrail. It's a it's a smaller uh, okay, like in comparison to all cryptocurrencies, it's it's small scale, right? But impact is pretty big scale. Um, they got hacked. Number one. Um, the particular exchange lost over $40 million in tokens from that hack. Um, and kind of like what I've said in previous shows, like, it's not like you're going to walk in a bank account and ask for your insured deposit or for some kind of repayment or insurance. Like, no, you got completely hosed. Um, also wild west is like, it's the company's discretion to decide if they're going to repay that, that loss that they have incurred in their exchange right in other cryptocurrency hacks that have happened in the last year they have repaid but that was out of the generosity of their hearts slash we don't want our platform to completely tank whereas there's no legal framework uh requiring them to do that so that actually sent bitcoin plummeting quite a bit um today it was down over like 10 percent total um that was one of the two things. The other um, thing is that some, it's been speculated and reported that the there are some crypto markets that are being investigated for price inflation and market flooding and other techniques. So um, again, wild west we talked about like the risks that are inevitable when everyone wants to be a cryptocurrency everyone wants to be mining everyone wants the sexy thing when everyone wants the sexy thing that means people who aren't as you know brilliant in the world of cryptocurrency are going to get in the game make mistakes screw up and then you know not ruin it for the rest of us but in essence ruin it for the rest of us so um You know, again, it's it's a little bit of training right now. Like, I mean, we're working out. It's training wheels. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't think think
0: anybody who jumps into this thing now and thinks it's ready for prime time. I mean, I've I've equated it to the Windows 95 era. Like, (laughs) yeah, we all had Windows and we all thought it was pretty cool, but it crashed all the time. It had huge security holes in it. It was pretty awful. And there actually wasn't a lot of things you could do with it. Like, you know, it had big promises. Like, I remember all the promises of Microsoft coming out. We're just now getting to those point where all those promises are the digital home, where you have a digital assistant. All those things in the Windows 95 and Windows 98 era were part of Microsoft's home of the future. But it never, I mean, we were, we were years, 10, 15 years. And it took a lot, I think, a lot of hard hacking. And, uh, and again, I'm not saying losing $40 million, uh, you know, <laughs> do we, have, do we have to do Drop it up in the bucket. Forty million—that's paper money at this point. I mean, yeah, some p- folks have some stuff invested, but these are most likely coins that were generated. It's not real fiat in a lot of ways. But now that being said, um, it's—it it is value from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. But I kind of think in the market, this is good. This is going to sound crazy, but it's good. Folks are getting pwned because it's gonna—it's gonna shore things up. You know, NiceHash was one of those um, organizations that got hacked in lost 42 million i think something like that and they have been paying it back i'm about halfway 35 45% paid back they're doing a nice job that's painful but it's they're making some progress coinbase is fdic insured like wow if you have cash in there they are like a bank and they have fdic insurance so you know you start thinking okay there's a few out there so I, when I look at this, I actually think it's good in some ways that these guys are getting, their, you know, getting it handed to them because yeah. it's going to make people better, right? And it's going to make the system better. I, I think it's there to stay in a lot of ways. The crypto market will be completely different 25 years from now than it is today. Like, I, I think it's, look at night and day. Look at .com. Well, you weren't around. You were just, you were being born in these days. But if you look at the companies that were around during .com, there's just a handful of them left. I mean, most of them have, have gone away. And so I think, I think we see something similar. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think anyone who actually stakes their livelihood into exactly. cryptocurrency, like taking a huge gamble. Um, I think that's like definition of bleeding edge. Um, I also would agree with the assessment that like, yes, the market took a hit. Yes. Like a lot of recession from this, but um John McAfee and other yahoos out there are basically saying now is the time to buy because like the general trend of the technology is not going away. Um, I remain neutral in the sense that I think the science experiment is early as you suggest. uh, But I think people still underestimate the risk that is inherent in the platform. Like we called it out, but I think people are still like super jazzed to go buy like a $10,000 mining rig, have a lot of fun with it. And like, yeah, for some people it's like win loss draw, they're just learning. Right. But in terms of like ironing it out for feasibility in prime time, um, the more markets and stuff start to buy in and it has major kinks. It's almost like, it's kind of funny. It's like we spent all this area in one realm of cybersecurity, getting our stuff finally figured out and worked out. And now here's this huge new technology segment coming along to add all new sorts of surface areas that we have never engineered against before. Um, So in essence, it's definitely um, forcing a rebalancing of like, Hmm, we figured out all this stuff that we've been sitting on for a long time, but hmm, here's the stuff kind of coming up on the horizon and the priority will increase as more and more people stop seeing it as this, you know, test bed and more as like, yeah, this is, this is livelihood, right? Yeah. Well, we're
0: going to see some companies come along who are going to like Tron and and I'm sorry, like Ripple, where it's going to be a, it's going to be both enter you know, be kind of enterprise and kind of distributed and it's a hybrid and oh, by the way, it actually is a business model. So, you know, I think we're going to start to see some of those where it's actually going to work. I think here in the U.S., I S I don't think as bad as we've been on, on the internet as far as regulating it I think the US in the in the um the, the the security exchange commission is maybe out a little head on this thing of asking some important questions early about regulating this thing which for crypto it needs to be regulated like I know the whole I know it's supposed to be open and unregulated but to be legitimate it's going to have to be re- regulated in some way and in the, here in the United States I think we're actually way ahead of it in in asking some questions and putting some things in place. And again, there's not enough there for the average guy at this point to be feel comfortable, but I feel like the right questions are being asked anyways, right now, you know, we, we, we've got time. And like you said, you know, I, I, although let, let me say this for the guy or gal who makes a big bet and hits the right vein of something uh, it's going to be like the early, it's going to be like being employee six at Microsoft, which is Jeff Rakes right? Yeah. Jeff Rakes, uh, who's just a gajillionaire at this point, or like a Larry Ellison, who put everything he had on Oracle, right? And built that company from really nothing to the giant that it is today. And people thought he was crazy in some of those things. So, you know, it is one of those things, Christian, where you're like, someone is going to make a big bet, and a and hundred people are going to do it, and it's not going to work. <laughs> they're they're going to lose their shirts, yeah. You're gonna have that one or two or ten, whatever
1: in the well, end. You're and just gonna be rich. Yeah, the other interesting thing is people are still being very um schemey with mm-hmm. with crypto, right? Oh, like um yeah, for so sure. the thing with the phones, Apple banned doing any type of crypto anything on iPhones. So like you can't have an app that's doing crypto mining or you know, messing with your hardware. Um, you also, um, these websites in 2018, the latest fad is to try and do cryptocurrency mining in the background on JavaScript when you go to a website. And the only way you know about it, in some cases, they're nice enough to put up a banner great for them, but otherwise you can stumble on a site. And the only way you know about it is all of a sudden your CPU usage is kicking up and you're like, huh, that's kind of odd. And then you go in process manager and Firefox has like totally lost its mind, um, or Chrome or whatever. So you know, still some kind of dicey stuff going on that is definitely yeah. a sign that we haven't hit maturity with it yet.
0: But. No, and full disclosure, like, so what you're talking about, one of those companies, JSC, JS S isn't Sam, E is an Echo, a uh, JSC coin is, ooh, I said, I said, the, I said the Amazon word and she came alive. Hold on. We'll see if she'll quiet down. So oh, there we go. So, um, the JSC coin, which started that way, actually has, and, and they still have, you know, they're trying to do full disclosure. It's trying to be a background, low usage replacement for ads. I do kind of like that in some ways. If your users would be willing to let you borrow some of that, uh, some cycles to not borrow, but to use cycles. Okay. I think there's some good stuff there. Does it need to be disclosed better? Totally. Uh, JSC Coin actually just came out with a new desktop miner that just, you can just run on your desktop. Like, they're, they're, they're trying to be, they're, they're trying to be more than just this sneaky back, you know, like, hey, let's keep it a secret. Let's hide this from the users. Yeah. And so is it right, ah, everybody, you come at it from, your yin ying and I'm yang. I like it. You don't. That's okay. Like, this will cause the market to really flux, and we'll figure out eventually. You know, hey, the use of cookies going back to our first conversation is a little—I mean, it's used in a really sleazy way sometimes. Doesn't mean all cookies are bad. So, I, I think it's—it's it's one of those. Uh, well, for some people, they—they they believe they are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like chocolate—the chocolate chip variety. Those are my uh, good cookies,
1: good coins.
0: Bad, bad cookies, bad coins. There's always. You know, anytime there's a system, there's going to be people out there to exploit the system. There'll be those who use it appropriately and then those who exploit it. And I, it's just always going to happen. I, Christian, I really appreciate your, uh, your cautiousness of it. It, it's been good. It, it, what's, what's funny is I'm the old guy. I should be the one saying, get off my lawn. And you should be the one saying, like, this is the next coolest thing. And we are, we are total opposites on that. But, I've enjoyed the conversations I've had with you about it. And I think your reasonable approach to it, it is good. We we need to remember, what is this? Why are we doing it? Where is it at? It's the early days. Protect yourself. Don't be stupid. Don't just download stuff, right? I mean, yeah. all those things still apply, right?
1: And that's the thing. Like Ultimately, I want to see the technology as a concept, the conceptual capabilities of technology is super awesome. And I think a lot of the untapped potential is that the technology of blockchain removed from financial markets is super powerful in a bunch of other applications that we have hardly scratched the surface of yet. So in essence, when everyone is done playing with the financial game, like there's a lot of other really interesting use cases that I want to see people get to. Sadly, I I don't know how much of those use cases will be Realized while we're still in like the the monkey financial mode, but when we get out of that, there's going to be a lot of other growth areas with this technology that I think are going to be really worth getting involved in, so
0: yeah, and I wouldn't underestimate the power of of the crypto currency side to disrupt some international financial markets that are totally corrupt mm-hmm. so you know I think when we think of it in those terms and to get the centralization out of the hands of corrupt dictators or to get the yeah.
1: centralization
0: out of the hands of corrupt governments and decentralize some of those uh, to allow wealth to move across borders mm-hmm. in a way that's, that's deregulated and decentralized, um, I, I think is good in some yeah. cases. And so this does give us a tool. I do think there's some financial, you know, and I, I you know, to be honest with you, I think cryptocurrency will take off in the area of gaming and gaming rewards that'll probably be the first place it'll actually make sense and that kind of decentralized concept works well mm-hmm. in that environment and it's a form of currency and it's universal you know you ever bought a microsoft any microsoft points and try to figure out that system <laughs> Yeah, it's terrible luck. it is just terrible and uh, we don't have you know, the rest of the world does not have the on-ramps of fiat into crypto yet. And there's no clear winner or no clear consensus on a lot of it. So I think we've got some time to go, but gaming could take advantage of this right away.
1: Yeah. And some countries too are much farther in being accepting of it than others. Like South Korea is like, yeah, their they're, uh, they're police are investigating the theft of the crypto market because it's a South Korean-based cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And You know, there's crypto ATMs like they've gone like way farther with it than where I think we are in the U.S. Right. So it's like just kind of depends on what slice of the bleeding edge you're in. Right. You know, other countries have different tolerance levels for it. And, you know, South Korea, they're on 5G Internet. Everything is fiber. So they're consistently hitting bleeding edge. Kind of interesting to watch that experiment play out.
0: Yeah. And China may be the first to actually, because they're going to heavily regulate it and bend it towards their own economy. That may be one of those areas where we, for we see the very first large scale use of the currency in a way that makes sense because it has heavy regulation. Right. You know, it, and so it'll be interesting to see what comes out of China. They, they could get this right, whatever that means and, and have something up and running. I do, do think in business we're, I've got my interns thinking a little bit around the question. We're doing a crypto currency contest. So we've joined mm-hmm. simulators and I just want, it's just kind of a way in to help them understand like this can be the output, but there's lots of great things about the blockchain and the way the blockchain works. How could we use it to our advantage in the future? We're not ready for it today, but if yeah. we were going to implement a blockchain, how would that, how could we, certainly we're a data company and we collect data all around the world in a decentralized easy to get to, but highly secure database where you have, you know, we survey 98% of the world's population, which means, you know, we do a thousand surveys in every country at least once a year, being able to have an easy on-ramp for our data folks to get that data in in a decentralized way. Well, there could be some advantage there, you know, Mm -hmm. who knows? So Mm -hmm. we don't know yet. Um, It's just one of those interesting things. So I've got a bunch of high schoolers thinking about like, Hey, how could it be used? You know, if we, if we were going to use the blockchain. So, um I I totally agree with you. I just hope cryptocurrency conversation does not take so much steam that it takes all the power out of blockchain, right. which is really the important part here.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Right
0: on. Anything else you want to add on that? No. No, I think we're good there. Well, yeah, it's good to Knock out another hour with you and uh, and sit down. So it goes fast, doesn't it? <laughs>
1: it's a fast hour here. A lot, of, a lot of rambling. Sometimes it makes sense. We hope you got something out of it. No, but I, yeah, the I, hour is the well, hour. I'm a little, I'm a little biased, but I think it was
0: what you said was pretty good. Uh, the rambling and suspect, maybe me in probably that not, process. But uh, Christian, always good to have you back on. Anything. Anything you want to foreshadow in the future? We always say we're going to try and get regular on this and then it never happens, but it's it's uh, my dream. Let's try. As soon as we're done, I'm going to lock in another date with you, but, but um, anything coming up in the future for you
1: that you want to highlight? uh, I think there are some data science-y things we need to go back and revisit. There's also been a lot of AI topic-y stuff that we haven't really talked about um, with Google and otherwise. So I would like to visit that just because we've been so much in cyber 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 lately um the other part of that frontier is the is the data and the ai side so um i'm going to try well, and I, switch up gears for the next show there
0: christian i think in the last year everybody has added ai or machine learning to everything they said and, yeah. and you know what i'd love to have you do is kind of come back and like how do we debunk like <laughs> what is ai
1: mythbusters
0: <laughs> what is it what is the the machine show? learning because I feel like, um, you know, we used to write programs and now we write AI and it's like, that's not really, that's not really what happens. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. You
0: know, and so just to give uh, some people an update. So why don't you, uh, why don't you prep that? Easy for me to say, uh, maybe even easier for you to do. You prep that and the next time we have you back, we'll dig in a little bit on the, the, uh, the status of AI and machine learning and what we're doing. Maybe some of the interesting things that's going on out there. Uh, cool. kind of around that. Cool. Well, I'll remind everyone uh, that uh, the TheAverageGuy.tv, powered by Maple Grove Partners, get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting. Still working, still lightning fast, still awesome. It just <laughs> happens by magic, I think, is what's going on with there. Get high-speed, uh, uh, really good hosting from people that you know and you trust. For more information and plans, still start at 10 bucks. It's the best deal in town, MapleGrovePartners.com. If you're hosting anything, They'll get it set up for you. So get that uh, get that in if you're going to get it done, maplegrowthpartners.com. Don't forget, if you got questions, we already kind of foreshadowed the next show, but if you want to add some things into it, you can contact us. Send me an email, Jim at the average Christian over there is just Christian at the average We're not always the fastest on those addresses, by the way. So if you send an email, you don't hear back from us in 24, 48 hours. Hang tight. We'll get to those and, uh, and get you the answer back and try to get those scheduled or. What have you here on Cyber Frontiers? Track us both down on Twitter. I'm at Joe Carlson. Christian is at Ford Whisperer. We hope you enjoyed it. I sure did. We'll be back here in a couple weeks with another, another Cyber Frontiers. And without, we'll say goodbye, everybody.
1: Good night.